those that were with him as he came from Caesarea Philippi on down the last six months. And um, Pilate here is kind of a, uh, um, a real hard head and real evil man. Um, he was not liked by the Jews. He had already ticked them off by bringing in the standard of Rome. And they followed him over to an amphitheater up in Caesarea. He said he was going to kill him. He didn't keep his word. They challenged him. Um, later on, he robbed the temple, as we said this morning, of tax money, built an aqueduct. He also set up standards uh, of um, in Herod's palace, uh, shields, and uh, Tiberius had to call him to take him down. So he had lost all credibility, power, and uh, it was slipping from his hands. Now, remember, Pilate had been a place in Judea in place of Archelaus, the son, the, the brother of Herod Antipas that we're going to see, the second uh, phase of the political trial. And uh, so there was bad blood. And wherever there's politicians, there's bad blood. Um, the only time they get along is when they find a common enemy, as we'll see and we said this morning. But um, uh, Pilate was, uh, was, was not a nice guy. And yet, uh, even as evil as he was, we see that he could see the writing on the wall. Not because he really cared about Jesus, but because he didn't want to be turned in by the Jews and get in trouble and have Rome recall him. Um, he had backed himself up into a corner through his... Uh, his manner of lifestyle, his conduct, the way he ruled, and it had caught up with him. Uh, they charged Jesus here for uh, sedition, um, claiming to turn the Jewish people against Rome, also evading taxes. Uh, the previous chapter, as uh, we saw that in verse 20-26, where Jesus uh, declared, Give to Caesar what belongs to Jesus, and God what belongs to God. And uh, really, if you look at the teaching on, on the government and taxes in the Bible... We really have um, no, no right to protest any taxes. I don't like them. And as long as we have ways to vote and to call, we should do that. But um, Jesus, I mean, think about the, the Roman Empire. I mean, if you look at how they taxed everything, I mean, we're almost there. But, um, you know, he says, hey, give it to Caesar if it belongs to him. Um, in verse 3, Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, as, uh, It is as you say, in the affirmative. Now all the Gospels declare this. Uh, certainly Jesus was brought into the praetorium there in John 19, uh, 18, and at the end of 19 where he finishes up. But um, Pilate uh, has a very private conversation with Jesus, and Jesus turns it around. He puts him on trial. And, um, you know, at one point, Pilate just says, uh, what is truth? Because he says, Jesus said, everyone who hears my voice, uh, hears truth, hears my voice. And, uh, and that's always a question. People want to, you know, to be or not to be. Uh, stupid questions of philosophers that uh, really mean nothing and get you nowhere and just get you in trouble. Um, Jesus was just interested in objective truth, right and wrong. What belongs to God, what belongs to man. Uh, very, very important. But here, Jesus, in the affirmative, he didn't deny any of this, but he did, did not mean a, a king in the way that the Jews were accusing him as a rival to Caesar. Um, and that's why even as we look at Romans 13 and Second Peter, it speaks about us submitting ourselves to government. The government is placed by God for the uh, good of us and for the punishment of evil people. That doesn't mean that every form of government is just or even fair. But government in some form or other is better than no government at all. When there's no government, then you've got anarchy completely. And you've got a crazy uh, way of uh, people to try to exist. 
So, in verse 4, um, Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd, "If I find no fault in this man. So he gives his verdict. But they were the more fierce, stronger words, saying, He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. So they reiterate again, they're, they're, they're pushed because they need a, a political uh, authority to condemn Jesus because they don't have the right to put anybody to death. The capital punishment right had been removed from them. Um, uh, Genesis 49.10 speaks about when Shallow comes, the, the scepter will be taken from them. And during that time, it was taken from them. And, and so they, they, they need the, the approval of, um, of a pilot here. And um, uh, they, they, they need this, this official political um, judgment over him. When you get to verse 6, now down to verse 12, Pilate's going to be sending Jesus to Herod as he listens to some of the words that are coming forth. He um, says, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So Pilate starts to put these things together. Really, man, he finds himself up against the wall. He doesn't like the Jews. He's already in hot water with Rome. And all of a sudden, he hears Galilee and goes, ping. Well, wait a minute. Herod's down here. And man, you know, we're not in good relationships. If I send him over there, I'm going to look like the good guy. The word here to send him is a judicial term to send a, a lower case to a higher court and really being submissive to it. So he's going to look good. He can get out of this mess. He can, he can patch up the bad feelings and, man, kill two birds with one stone. A typical politician. He's not interested in truth. He's not interested in justice. He's interested in looking good and getting ahead. Bottom line. Verse 8. He says, now when Herod saw Jesus, so all of a sudden, Jesus is, is before him. Now remember, this is Herod Antipas. Um, he, um, he is the son of Herod the Great. And he's been um, seeking to be in audience with Jesus for a long, long time. So when Herod saw him, he was exceedingly glad for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. So here in verse 8, um, Herod just sees Jesus as some form of entertainment. Um, you know, politicians get bored sometimes, so they have to take some tax money and go be entertained at our expense at um, five-star hotels and do dumb things and, you know... And we flip the bill. And they're busted all the time and nobody does anything about it. I haven't seen anybody go to jail since Obama came on board. Not one person. All crooks have gotten promoted. Amazing. Well, here, he was looking for a miracle. And uh, sadly, he is going to be disappointed Greatly, because Jesus again knows the heart of every person, and He knows why we come to Him. He knows why we come to church. He knows why we do the things we do. So we can put on an air, but 
it really doesn't matter. Um, we can fool um, people, but we can't fool God. And so, uh, here again, um, verse 9, Then he questioned him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the greatest rebuke that anybody can give to anybody is silence. You just walk away. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If your child ever was in hot water with you or, and, or you warn them about something and then they say something that's just so crazy, you just look at them. You don't say anything, you walk away. And your kid's going, what? 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 The silence kills them because it says everything. When Jesus um, no longer speaks to a person, it's good evidence that he's given them up. And that is uh, something that breaks the heart of God. Because he's always initiating, always trying to turn people from their sin. Trying to forgive them of their sin. It's a strange way for God to judge, Isaiah says. Uh, the way that God does business is to, to initiate, to bring conviction, and to forgive sin by repentance. This is his nature. God is love. In him there's no darkness at all. And so, in verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. So remember, as, as um, Pilate has sent them back up to Herod, he also sent the entourage of these religious rulers. Um, they're in the city of Jerusalem. And um, they, they, they have nothing of it. They, 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 they want him uh, condemned. And then Herod in verse 11, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. So, it was a big letdown for Herod. He was expecting Jesus to do something great. You remember when uh, Naaman came to Elijah? To be healed of his leprosy? And he knocked on the door and he thought, well, you know, this guy's going to come out. I'm Naaman. I'm, I'm, I'm the chief captain of the Syrian army and I've defeated Israel and I'm... You know, he'll come out and, you know, do this whole thing and pff, I'm healed. But Elijah sent his servant Gehazi to the door. And the servant said, just go dip yourself seven times in the dirty Jordan. He was so incensed, he went postal. As he's going back to Syria, he's complaining with his servant. He says, you know, I mean, look, we have better rivers up there, the far, far. And the others, and you know, and, and the servant says, you know, Master, what's the big deal? Look at look how far we've come. So you go into the river, you dunk yourself seven times, and nothing happens. What have we lost? Nothing. But what if you get healed? All right, all right. He gets down there, he does that, he's clean. You see, people think so highly of themselves as if people have to treat them special. When politicians or people in power keep telling you that you're special, be careful, there's a hook. They're showing you a worm, but there's really a hook on it. 
We love to be complimented, to be applauded. That's our sin nature. And so we have to be careful. Here again, he had his field day with him, a little disappointment. He arrayed him with clothing here, the men of war, contemptuously, as if he was nothing insignificant. Having fun with them, then he sent him back to Pilate. But Herod was the loser for that because he was rejected from Jesus himself, and that would cost him eternity. Certainly it wasn't because Jesus was not patient enough with him, but he knew Herod had killed John the Baptist, his cousin, beheaded him for denouncing his adulterous affair with his brother's wife. He knew that he was just playing games here with, um, with Jesus. He, he didn't care about anything. And so he pokes fun at him. He has this nice little time with him. The other gospels speak about purple and uh, scarlet, but that, that is in another time when Pilate turns Jesus over to the soldiers, so there's no contradictions, as I stated this morning. So Herod dismisses Jesus, and in verse 12, that very day Pilate and Herod became friends and eat with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. We're not told what it was, but as I said, Pilate has shed some blood in chapter 13, verse 1, up in the Galilean area. And also, as I said, his brother Archelaus was deposed, and that territory of Judah was given to Pilate. So those are two good reasons that, you know, uh, the saying in the world that blood is thicker than water. And, um, and so uh, a lot of animosity went on. But they, they found that common enemy, the um, common ground. And after they got rid of Jesus, I'm sure they were right back at it when something else came up. That's the way usually people are. Now, from 13 to 25, we have the sending of Jesus back to Pilate now. And um, here in 13, then Pilate went. He had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. He said to them, um, you have brought this man to me as one of the that misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. So once again, he reaffirms, and now he's going to have a second witness, verse 15. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him. I sent you back to him. Indeed, nothing deserving of death he has found that has been done by him. So his examination, Herod's examination, and therefore I will chastise him and release him. Well, here again, Pilate um, is using that which he has all the authority to do, but he's afraid of the Jews. And in verse 17, he also has this other ace up his sleeve, is that it's necessary for him to release one of the malefactors or criminals as the custom was. And so uh, he, he's, he's trying to use everything that he can think of to escape having to sentence Jesus. But in 18, they wouldn't have it. They cried out with the voice, saying, Away with this man and release us Barabbas. He, it shocked him. He, he couldn't expect that. 
He thought that somehow there would be enough people in the crowds to override the demand of death. But such was not the case. Barabbas, verse 19 says, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. So here an actual evil person is being allowed to be released and a real innocent person is going to be condemned. Well, we see the same thing in our court system and our judicial system and legislation. A lot of, we decriminalize the law. Now we let out about 10,000 criminals that should be in jail. They're not in jail. So they become now criminals and robbing houses and doing different things. And it's amazing to me. And, and people don't even think anything about it. In verse 20, Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them. But they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. And then he said to them the third time, why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with a loud voice that he be crucified. And the voice of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. The word there is to, to be determined for someone's uh, detriment. He, he lost all authority, lost all control. He began to deal and try to negotiate with the crowd. He is the judge. He's the one in authority. Stop and think of what's happened to America and their judicial system, even in homes with parents. They, 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 they bargain with their children. I beg your pardon? I'm the one that pays the bill. They sleep in my bed. They eat my food. They shower in my water. They wear my clothes. Like my son, before he went into the Marines back in 96, he says, Dad, why don't you get a gardener? I said, you are my gardener. I said, you eat here, right? I said, when you leave, then I'll get a gardener. It's real simple. 25, he released to them the one they requested for, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Greatest injustice ever happened. The sentencing of Jesus to death. Now, we know it's prophetic, so how do you work that out where God says, I'm going to do it from the foreknowledge of God? God predestined him to be uh, crucified for us. But that doesn't mean that God forced these people to do the evil. God just knew the evil they would do, and God told it beforehand. Be careful that you don't think that God forced people to do this evil, and therefore, how can God judge these people? God leaves free will, and he knows the end from the beginning. Nothing escapes and nothing's difficult for him. So therefore, when he judges every person for the evil that they do, they will have personal responsibility and accountability to God. While at the same time, God fulfills his prophecies because nothing is an obstacle for him. So you have to be real careful how you think these things through. Now, 26 to 49, you have the leading away of Jesus now to the cross. Um, 26 to 31, uh, we see the way to the cross. Uh, now, as they led Jesus away... They had um, laid hold on a certain man, Simon Cyrene, who was uh, coming from the, from the country. And on him, uh, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. So here, um, uh, they just picked this guy from the crowd um, to bear the cross of Jesus because um, uh, he was exhausted. He had been scourged. Uh, he had been up already about a day and a half. 
And um, they took him down the what is called the Via Dolorosa, meaning the way or the road of pain. So if your name is Dolores, your name is pains, plural. Um, criminals always bore their cross to the place of crucifixion. Um, Jesus was too weak. Uh, Matthew twenty-seven thirty-two tells us he was lam- led as a lamb to the slaughter, dumb to the shearers. Isaiah fifty-three tells us. Even through all these ordeals going on, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy regarding his Messiahship and his death and the resurrection that would come. They compel Simon Cyrene in here of Cyrene, and um, some believe he's Alexander Rufus that is marked out for us in uh, uh, Romans sixteen thirteen by Paul. Uh, he's also mentioned in Mark fifteen twenty one, and. Um, the great multitude in verse 28. It says, but Jesus turning to them, they're, they're looking on. They pull this guy from the crowds. And, and the crowds are looking on. He says, daughters of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, verse 27. And a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. So while this is going on, they pull him from the crowds and the women are, and, and the crowds are there. They're lamenting. And Jesus' response in verse 28, they're feeling bad for him. Because those, those, these are the people that love him and, and they see the injustice. But in verse 28, Jesus turns to them and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. These are the many that had followed him up from Galilee on down. And they, even there in the area of Jerusalem. You have Mary, you have James, you have Joseph, Salome, you have many others that were there at the crucifixion also. Matthew 27, Mark 15 gives us all that. And Jesus tenderly says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but for yourselves and your children. Because the destruction was going to come in 70 AD. In verse 29 and 30, you have the horror of that day. Indicated by two things. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore and breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. The prophecy of Hosea 10.8 there. But it's to Samaria, the judgment. Now the Holy Spirit grabs that text and puts it, for here, for Jesus, the judgment is going to come over Jerusalem. So first of all, the praising of barren women and of those who never gave suck to children. Because when the, enemy, where the armies of Rome would come in 70 AD, they would surround the city as we've seen before. And there would be complete array within the city with Famine and pestilence and roving bands and women eat their children and, and it would be a horrible time. Verse 30, they would call on the mountains in that day. They would wish that a mountain would fall upon the hills, desiring death more than life. This is pulled on also for the tribulation, Revelation 6.16, the sixth um, seal. And yet many in the great tribulation, though they know the judgment comes directly from the throne of God, they, they rather than repent, they call on the mountains to fall upon them. 
We see if things get bad, men will repent. No, they don't. No, they don't. History doesn't prove that. The Bible doesn't prove that. In fact, history and the Bible tell us differently. In 31, the deserved judgment is expressed through this proverb. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the day? The judgment on Jesus was unjust. He is the green tree. You don't cut down a green tree and burn it. He was innocent. The judgment coming on the Jews in Jerusalem would be deserving and just. It would be dry wood. Put to the fire. What an astonishment would come upon her. But again, decisions are made for the near future, for the right now, here and now. And the regret comes afterwards. And how many people have made dumb decisions that they regret the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, or the rest of their life? Judas Iscariot. Jesus said it would be better that man was never born. Wow. 32 to 38, you have the crucifixion of Jesus now. 32, it says there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And so Luke is um, unique in this interaction of the criminals between each other and Jesus. Um, they're crucified on the right and the left hand. The other synoptic gospels um, have robbers uh, in the old King James, thieves. Matthew 27, 38, Mark 15, 27. They arrive at Calvary here, Golgotha, which means skull. In Spanish, the word Calvario is a skull, the same thing. And uh, these two robbers were crucified, right and left hand. Now, you remember James and John wanted the right and the left hand when Jesus got to Jerusalem. Now, what if Jesus would have said, okay, they would have been right there. <laughs> you see, they even sent their mommy before them. But Jesus intercedes now for the executioners that they may be forgiven. I mean, you've got to look at the context of all this that is going on. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Verse 34 is most significant in that, once again, it's prophecy being fulfilled in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, and John nineteen, twenty-four confers about the casting lots for his garments, divide them in four parts. Rather than tearing the the coat, they rolled the dice for that. And the forgiveness here, and he says they don't, they do not know what they do, does not mean they didn't know they were crucifying and putting them to death, but they didn't understand the ramification, the significance of this. When your children, when you were young and dumb and ran around, you knew what you were doing when you got drunk, when you got loaded, when you were promiscuous. 
but you didn't understand the ramifications of it down the road until it hit you and I right in the face. You see? So when we pray like Jesus and forgive our debtors and those who trespass against that, us, we don't do it saying, well, they don't know what they're doing. No, we just understand that they don't understand the ramifications of what they do and what they say towards us. So we, like our Lord and Master, are more than willing to extend forgiveness if there's repentance, right? For there to be ultimate forgiveness, there must be repentance and the extending of that forgiveness. For there to be complete reconciliation, right? It can't happen any other way. And so Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, fulfilled. In 35, in the... And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. So here everybody's jumping in on the wagon. The religious, the soldiers. Uh, the offering of wine here was to kind of an anesthesis that gave it to him so that he wouldn't feel as much pain. This was a type of mercy that they did to those they crucified. Crucifixion is the most horrible way to die. The, um, uh, the Persians um, um, invented it. The Carthaginians refined it. And they passed it down and then Rome perfected it. And uh, you could last days on there. You would ultimately die of suffocation. Uh, the nails would go through your wrist, not the palm of your hands, to hold you up. And, uh, and in the feet, and you would have to push up to get a breath, and there would be just a little seat. And ultimately, you would just not be able to hold yourself up, and you would just collapse and suffocate. Uh, and while they left you on the cross many times for the birds to eat or animals or whatever it was, it was the most horrible, horrible way. And Rome lined up her streets, her roads with, um, with such men to intimidate people. To put fear in them. Consequences do have an effect. Today we're talking about, oh, consequences don't work. Yes, they do. You just have to make sure that the consequences are just and in proportion to the crime. That's the important thing. And so here again, um, in verse 35... They mock him. If you're really the Christ, the chosen one, save yourself. Come on down. In 37, he says, in saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So not only the priests, as I said, the soldiers, and even people that are there. In 38, he says, and an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and in Hebrew. And it says, this is the king of the Jews. Now, this inscription is found in Matthew 27, 37, Mark 15, 26, and John 19, 19. It varies a little bit, but again, it all means the same thing as you compare them. 
This was something that Pilate had put in the Jews. says, do not say he is king of the Jews. Say he said he's king of the Jews. He said, what I have written, I have written. He wanted to snub them. He hated them. You set me up, you mess me up, I'm going to mess you up. That's what he said. In three languages. Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. So everybody could read. Which really is great evidence for the fact that probably the cross that Jesus Christ was crucified on was the normal cross that we understand with the pole sticking on the top. Because if it was a St. Andrew's cross or the one without the top level of the upright, there would be no way to nail that sign above his head. So that indicates that that true cross was the regular cross that we have. Now, from 39... On down to 43, you have the two criminals crucified with Jesus. It says, then one of the criminals, their, their conversation here with them, uh, one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, um, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our debts, but this man has done nothing wrong. So, Matthew says both of them were deriding Jesus in Matthew 27, 44. Luke registers one, somewhere along the line, one of them changed their heart and mind about Jesus. The other criminal rebuked him. You and I, we were up here because of what we've done. We deserve it. This man has done nothing. He's innocent. He's blameless. Amazing that even that man recognized that. Verse 42, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Whoa. The thief that said this was equally distant from Jesus from the other. Both of them were equally seeing and hearing everything around them. And what Jesus was saying, there's seven sayings from the cross. This one repented. This one changed his mind about who Jesus was and what he could do for him. The other one did not. What a great benefit to the one. What a great consequence a tragic one to the other. He believed Jesus was Messiah. He believed he had a kingdom and he knew he was going to die just a matter of a couple of days, if he was fortunate, hours. <laughs> and then he would enter eternity. In 43, Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The promise of Jesus. Paradise is the Persian word that means an open garden, a park. Usually it was associated with private gardens of the king who would invite those who he, he wanted to come in and they would spend time with him. The word paradise is used in the scripture. It's used for the place of comfort in the bosom of Abraham in Luke 16, 22 through 25, prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for those who died in faith. Paradise is used by Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.4 when he was caught up to the third heaven. Paradise. 
The scriptures teach us that Jesus descended to the lowest parts of the earth in Ephesians 4, 9, and 10. And also 1 Peter 3, 19 through 21 and Colossians 2, 14. And he made a public display, a spectacle of all those fallen demons and angels. And they couldn't stop him as he emptied out the place of comfort and took him to heaven. Paradise. The minute you and I die, we're instantly present before the Lord. Paradise, the third heaven, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. Amazing. But those who die without Christ are instantly present in hell and torment. That twofold compartment now is one compartment. Waiting for the white throne judgment to be judged for their sins and then sentenced and cast into the lake of fire. All this information is not to scare people, is not to intimidate them, not to dangle them over hell. It's to inform them of what is to coming for their life if they reject Jesus Christ. In hope that they might repent. There, there is no... Um, Smacking of the lips or joy when um, we speak about hell. It's um, a desire that people would repent and come to Jesus Christ. So Jesus is surely, I say to you, verily, verily, same word, amen. Pay close attention, you can count on what I'm going to say. In verse 44 to 49, you have the death of Jesus now on the cross. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, from noon to three. Now, verse 45 says, Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. Well, top to bottom, the other gospels here in two. Okay? It is Passover. It is full moon. This is not an eclipse. It's impossible. This was God's wrath being poured on the sun, and heaven was grieving. Jesus became sin for the world. The wrath of God was poured upon him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. Verse 2 or 3 down says, because you are holy. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. God made him to be sinful as who knew sin. Knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. The Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 29. Wow. There was a real death, a real payment. A real sacrifice from the Father as He sent His Son. In 46, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's quoting Psalm 31, 5. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now the veil rent in two. The other gospels say from the top to the bottom. If man would have ripped it, it would have been from the bottom to the top. God ripped it to indicate that now all have access to God, not just the Old Testament. The Old Testament was being put away. Now there's a new covenant, Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. Everybody comes to the Father through Jesus Christ. No one else, completely. And so Jesus here commends himself to the Father. He gives up his spirit. I have power both to lay down my life and to take it up again. He says, no one takes my life. And so again, the fulfillment here. Of um, in verse 46 of um, Psalm 31 5. And so, when the centurion in verse 47 
saw what happened. He glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. So the response is centurion, he glorifies God. Now, I would hope that he is saying this sincerely and he was born again. But all we have is a statement. We're not sure. Hopefully he did. And in verse 48, And the whole crowd who came together to the, that site, saying, seeing what he had, had been done, beat their breasts and returned. And so here again, the reaction of sorrow and grief of those who loved them. They were looking to Jesus. In 49, but all this, all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Those who came with him, the women, many of the women who ministered unto Jesus, cared for him, provided for him financially. You look at the cross, none of the disciples were there except John. All the women were there. 50 to 51, the burial of Jesus now comes. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decisions indeed. He was from Arimathea, the city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. And so this courageous man, Joseph of Arimathea, part of the Sanhedrin council, but he didn't partake of their desire to put Jesus to death. He wasn't part of their plan, betraying him and turning him in. We all know what it is to be afraid. We all know what it is to be silent when we should speak out. None of us have been 100% on target all our life, and we regret it after the fact, especially if the consequences are tragic and severe. So now he shows up in um, his hope is in the kingdom of God. It means that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, much like Nicodemus. And this man, verse 52, went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. You see, the majority of the time, the uh, criminals who were crucified, they were allowed to remain on the cross and, again, birds and animals get to them. Or they would just cast them into the um, valley of Hinnom where they burned all the trash and just cremated them. No one would claim them. Verse 53 says, He took him down, wrapped him in linen, and laid him in the tomb that was hewn out of a rock where no one had ever lain before. As you compare all the Gospels, you see the um, tender care that was taken by Joseph and others. In this tomb, that not one dead body had ever been laid. Interesting, Jesus occupied a womb that had never been defiled. He had a tomb that had never been defiled. He was holy. And yet, in this act of mercy and love, we see the heart of 
Joseph here and his true hope in the kingdom to come. None of the disciples were at the tomb. The enemies of Jesus believed more in the three day resurrection than the disciples did. <laughs> the women had more faith and hope than all the disciples. It's amazing to me. And yet it was no big deal because only for the weekend they could have the tomb back. <laughs> the tomb was going to be empty. Jesus never takes anything from you that he doesn't give you something much better in place. You know what he takes from us? He takes dirt clots and he gives us diamonds. But if we're not careful, we're so used to dirt clots that we confuse them for diamonds. And we have to be careful. Verse 54 says, That day was a preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. So it was near Friday sundown. That's the Jewish measure of day. From sundown to the next day. We go from morning to morning. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was lame. The women looked at the crucifixion from afar off. Jesus said to John, Woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. And all the rest were in the background observing Jesus from the cross as he's saying the seven sayings, as he's crying out and he's in agony. Verse 56 says, Then they return and prepare spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So they marked it by eye where the sepulcher was. To not break the law, they went back before the sundown, prepared the spices so that they could rest and then come back on Sunday morning to anoint the body. But when they got to the tomb, as you know, the angel says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. Go tell the disciples. You'll see him in Galilee, as he said. <laughs> Amazing. You know, if, um, if our Bible was a religious book, it would not have a resurrection. It would be hopeless. The hope we have is the resurrection. There was a true payment made. Jesus literally died in our place. The Father poured out His wrath. The Son bore that wrath. He died physically. God the Father raised Him out from the dead and gave Him a glorified body. Let Him hang around for 50 days so that, well, 40 so everybody could see him. Then he left and then 10 days after the day of Pentecost came. The older you get, the more you were longing for that body. When you're young and everything, think you're bad and you can do anything. Can't even imagine needing glasses. Look at that. Four eyes up there. I really have three. But um, time and gravity takes care of you. Now, if you're in the world, that's bad. 
So the older you get and the weaker you get, the more you try to prove yourself and your manhood. And you become dumber as you get older than you were when you were younger. But if you're a Christian and you're a godly man, then you have to laugh at it. You have to just... If my, if my dad could be here right now and see how bald I am, he would just laugh, laugh, and laugh. I can hear him laughing. You have to have a good sense of humor as you get older. This old body is going to die. It's going to be put in the ground, and I'm going to be instantly present with the Lord. So when you, when you hear that Xavier Reese has died, don't believe it. I've moved. Rejoice for me. I'll be waiting for you in heaven. As I tell my grandchildren, my son and my daughter and my wife. What a great time it's going to be when we're the Lord. I'm in no hurry to leave. But man, I'll tell you. When we get to heaven, all our dumb questions are not even going to be even a thought in the back of our mind. Nothing's going to matter. It's going to be great. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your love. Thank you for your grace and your goodness to us, Lord, and your word. Father, doing so much for each of us in our life. And Lord, we pray that we would honor you in all things. Help us to be more godly. Keep us from the junk and the distractions and the allurements of the world without being self-righteous or pharisaical, Lord. But the Lord, we would just look to you in all things and cry out to you for that strength and wisdom, Lord. Lord, I lift everybody here tonight that you just minister to them, Lord. And Father, if there's someone here who doesn't know you or over the internet, that you would speak to their hearts. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you believe that Jesus is God who became man and died for your sins and rose from the dead, then that is a miracle. That means the Holy Spirit has illuminated your heart and mind and allowed you to understand that and to see that that can affect your life as you confess your sins and ask Him to save you and be your Lord. Your part is to say that to the Lord. Not to me, not to anyone else, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will respond to your repentance. He's the one that has initiated and knocked on the door of your heart. As you respond, He will bring that to a reality. And you can do that right now as you sit right where you're at by repeating this prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.